Hey everyone, it's Kendra. And this is Jessica. And you're listening to Lucid Lab. Lab. We're recording on a Saturday morning this time. We don't even need candles. We needed to do this because both of us last night were like, yeah, we're going to be there and it's going to be great and da, 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 and we're going to start. And, and then I was like, can we do tomorrow? <laughs> I am not ready. <laughs> and I was like, that's cool because I haven't written down anything. <laughs> I think at that point I was like, I've only written like two words. But we're here and I am here with my very bright red face because Um, it's not that bad. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't, you know, you shared your allergy to the sun. Right. I have a really odd allergy as well. And that's to chamomile Mm. or as some people say chamomile. chamomile. I say chamomile. I break out from chamomile. Like if I drink the tea, I will get hives. That's not nice. And so I went to get a facial the other day and the girl who usually does my facial, I had to, I don't know, something didn't work out with scheduling. So I went to a new girl at the same place mm-hmm. and she inadvertently used a couple of products with chamomile and I woke up with this bright red rash all over my face. <laughs> <laughs> it's very itchy. I want to scratch it, but... Uh-huh. Not fun and definitely glad that we're just recording in your house today (laughs) (laughs) and we'll order food in and no one needs to see me for a few days. Yep. I have also some kind of reaction that happens like that and I have no idea what it's caused from. And the first time I experienced it ever was, I guess we're going to bring it back again to Lahaina a little bit. Oh, yeah. It was my first time on a flight too. So I left from Denver to Hawaii and I'd never been on a flight before. It was a red eye. I don't Uh know if I touched something or what happened, but it was my first experience. And so for the first three days in Lahaina, I had a blown up face. It was red. I had a rash. Like I looked like shit. On your honeymoon? (laughs) On my honeymoon. (laughs) It was horrible. And then we went snorkeling and the waves were decent, let's say. And we were holding hands and we we're doing the whole thing and just a wave came in underneath and it took us like really close to like this cliff edge and so we were trying to get away from it and one just grabbed me and pulled me away from him mm-hmm. and I got like stuck in this swirl and I didn't know what was up what was down I didn't know where the surface was so I just literally curled up in a ball <laughs> and so let the scary. water take me until I felt something underneath my feet and I opened my opened my eyes and as I'm like trying to clamber up, I hit my ankle on something really, really hard and really, really sharp. Uh-huh. So then the rest of the trip too, I had a hurt ankle that, sw- <laughs> that swelled up and I couldn't really walk. So your face is all red and you got it. It was such a fun time. <laughs> I really made the most of you're that You're like trip. trying to be like the hot newlywed like and you're like hobbling around I'm with hobbling like around. red rash all over your face. Yes, that was fun. Yeah. And you know, I talked to my esthetician. I've been going to her for years and she's like, I feel so bad. She's like, I put in your file that you get a complimentary massage. So I'm like, oh, thank you for taking care of me. Because well, did they give like, you your money back on that? No, they just oh. gave me the massage. Okay. But it is in my, uh, it's clearly in my record that I'm allergic to chamomile. But I think oh. the girl, she was using some kind of cleanser and it was Didn't like one know. of those last, right. you know, yeah. you, you want to come out of a facial with a nice, beautiful, glowing That's skin. That's the whole point. <laughs> not red, <laughs> not red rash, but at least I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to go to the office. Hopefully I don't have to be on any video calls on Monday. <laughs> Always takes a few days to get rid of that I kind of stuff. I can use a filter. So I wanted to talk about our last episode, which was our first cult episode. Yeah. 
which was a lot of fun. Uh, today I'm taking us into another direction. Yay. So we're going to do another first today, but we have a few more things to talk about before we get there. We were talking before we started recording about how cool it was that Jessica chose for our first cult that it was led by a woman. Yeah, because it's always men. It's always dudes. And it always has to do with sex. And we, yes. And I'm like, I don't we don't I want to, don't want to that. do that because there were some other ones that I was looking into before that. And once I read more into them, it was, as always, sex and a dude. And I'm just like, I don't, I just don't want to do that yet again. We were just having the conversation. I'm like, women that start cults, they're looking for power. They're power. looking for money. Yeah. Men who start cults, it's always about having sex, usually with children, children. unfortunately. Yeah. And it's just so depressing. Gross. Like even the Nexium dude, he's like, mm-hmm. I just want a bunch of women that I can have sl- sex with all the time. Yes. And he was gross. They're always it's are. always, they're always gross the grossest person. Dudes. I'm like, why? <laughs> because they can't get laid. So they're like, if I start a cult, people will have to like sleep They'll fall with in me. love with my mind and then they <laughs> won't be able to deny me. Anyways, we also had another exciting or what we thought was going to be exciting on our TikTok this week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Jessica and I are both grew up in the 90s and I watched my so-called life and fell in love with Jared Leto. You know, he's a good looking dude. Or Jordan he, Catalano on the show. He doesn't age. No, he still looks he's just a vampire. <laughs> I'm just convinced. No, I mean, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of his music. Those emo girls coming out of us. And, yep, you know, they're just, they're very smarts. talented. And he's been pretty active on TikTok with videos lately and doing different things. And I was on there one morning and he had just posted something, had 66 likes. And there right. were like 10 comments. And I was like, oh. And so I commented from our Lucid Lab <laughs> account. And I was like, we love you, Jared. You know, fans. And then Kendra writes me Jared Leto's following I us <laughs> I logged in at, well he, first of all he liked our comment yeah. and that was actually from Jared Leto that was he liked Jared our Leto. comment and then right yeah. under it it said Jared Leto is now following you and I was like Jessica Jared is following us <laughs> but and then immediately my brain's like no he's not <laughs> and I, I I went and checked the account that was following us and it was just one of those knockoffs <laughs> knockoff fake accounts but Jared Leto's account I can't say it was actually Jared Leto probably his PR team. Yeah. Liked our comment. <laughs> right. So there you go. And then this morning when I logged into TikTok, we had another follower that said Jared Leto, number 67 or everybody's something. Everybody's Jared Leto now. <laughs> We're going to have like 20 Jared Leto's <laughs> following us. Well, and then this morning before we started recording, I was just looking at the news and we saw that Bob Barker actually did pass away he at 99 died. years old. Yeah. We had that conversation, I don't know, many, many episodes ago. Yeah. In the very beginning. Yeah, and when we're talking about the glitch. Die. And now it said he did. So we're going to record this because if I hear he's alive again there in, you a, go. in a year because or two. Because when she started telling me this, she was telling me the circumstances and the age and like all this stuff. And I'm like, that's literally what they said last time. Kendra, what's happening? I'm like you're rereading <laughs> the same crap. So if anything happens and Bob Barker did not die, then we, we will come back. We have documented. it recorded in three different ways. <laughs> Okay. But if he did die, very sad to hear that because he just seemed like a good guy that never did anything. Yeah. You never heard anything bad about him. He seemed like a pretty good, solid guy. Yeah. And then just sticking on the, I guess we're on a train of news and TikTok or something. (laughs) I saw this video the other day. It just made me laugh because part of one of my jobs involves construction in one way or another. Right. And there was this lady and she's pretty funny. She posted this video 
And she's like, I've never pronounced an L <laughs> so hard in my life. <laughs> she went into like a Home Depot. Yeah. She was looking for cock and she's like, can I have some cult? cult? <laughs> <laughs> Don't want Just it to come across as something else. <laughs> I know. So funny. And I was reading the comments and the girls were like, that's why I ask for tubes of sealant, sealant. <laughs> or something like that. Or they act dumb and just describe what they're looking they're like for that so that they'll stuff. take it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty cute. That was really cute. We send each other a lot of videos through TikTok. And yeah. Sometimes they're like related to the podcast. Other times they're like dog videos. Yeah. <laughs> for cats. I just love all the animal videos. Yeah. They just make me happy. And then I get sucked into the other ones that tell me about all the horrible things going on. You know, like what we talked about a couple of weeks ago with Maui. And yeah. It's such a mess. And I just feel like every day we're living through some like fucked up, unprecedented event. It just and is. And that yeah. like we're just totally headed towards the end time. So I'm just trying to we focus are. on the positive things and talk about murders and <laughs> which is what, what we're, we're talking about today. That's what we're here for. <laughs> We're here to distract you, but not distract you. No. We want you to know we're aware. Like, I can't escape it. I don't want to escape it. I want to be aware of everything that's going on. But at the same time, we do have to enjoy what we have in these moments. And yes. for us, it's bringing this podcast out to everybody for this some reason. For so. real. Yeah. It's like the joy in my life is putting these together. Even and then if it's murder. Yeah. And then we get to hang out in the podcast studio and have yeah. a good time talking yeah. about this. And we just ate some food we got some wine early morning wine yes that almost sounded like morning wood not the same <laughs> <laughs> very different I also wanted to throw it out here because we always say this at the end but if yes. you guys are enjoying our podcast please go on on your favorite platform and leave us some reviews give yeah. us some stars if you don't want to write anything if you do want to leave a comment we would love that too Yes, that would really help us with some exposure. And we don't know if anybody actually listens to the end of our episodes <laughs> when we're listing everything off. So I was like, let's say it in the beginning. Yeah. And also Find follow us. us on social media, please. Um, yeah. If you would like to see, we put lots of pictures up from all the cases we cover. So cool place to see us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Not but the photos on YouTube, just the episodes on YouTube. Yeah, YouTube does not have any photos. <laughs> what are we doing today here? So it's a new thing. You it's said a new we haven't thing. touched it yet. It's murders, but that's okay. not new. <laughs> what we are doing is our first cold case. So this is an unsolved murder case, but we're going to have lots of theories and suspects. I have my idea of who I think actually did it. Oh, great. It's one of those where we get to put it all out there and everyone gets to decide for themselves because we don't really know. And I'll decide. This is a very famous case. So some of you listeners may have heard this story before, but I hope I can bring it in a unique way. And that is the Hinterkaifeck murders. Now that you say it to me and I didn't just read it through a text, that sounds like something that I have heard of. But we'll see. A lot of people refer to it just as Hinterkaifeck. This story is over 100 years open as a cold case now in Germany, and it is the most famous cold case in Germany. So outside of the U.S., a lot of Europeans would know this case better than we would. It's very similar in my mind to our Lizzie Borden case or the Velisca axe murders. Okay. This okay. is an axe murder Oh. whole family massacre <gasps> case. Okay. Some memory is coming back, but it's been a long time. I would yes. say maybe a couple, three years ago, maybe I heard this story. So this happened in 1922. It was a tragic night in Germany on Friday, March 31st, as an entire household living at the Hinterkaifeck farm would lose their lives in a very brutal way, as I said, via axe murder. Those killed included Andreas and Kazilia Gruber. Their 
elder daughter, Victoria Gabrielle, and her two children, Kazilia and Joseph. The poor maid that just happened to be there, it was actually her first day on the job, Maria Baumgartner. Mm, not, that's not cool. No, <laughs> I feel so bad for Maria. She's like, I'm here for my first day at the job. Hack. <laughs> and now you're dead. So as I said, this is a cold case. It will most likely never be solved. It has gripped the true crime world for many years. There's tons of reddits and subreddits out there about this and several theories on who did it, but we'll never know. There are stories of strange events happening on the farm prior to the murder, including strange noises in the attic, Mm. figures in the forest, and mysterious footprints. Motives behind the murders of the entire family range from random burglary to a scorned ex-lover. I'm very (laughs) excited to go into the details on this case, and we can all decide for ourselves what we think happened and why. Although the true suspect and motive will never be confirmed for anyone, sadly, even in the early 2000s, there was a group of police recruits that studied this case, and they actually put together their most likely theory on who the murderer was. But law enforcement decided to keep those records sealed out of respect for the family members who are still alive today. So we don't even know what they theorized as the most likely suspect. So it's really up to a lot of interpretation. I think that's why there's a lot of Reddits out there about yeah, this case. Yeah, for sure. So let's start with where is Henner Kaifek? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Germany, he said. <laughs> it's not actually a German town. Henner Kaifek okay. is actually the name of the farm. Okay. And that's because it was out in the Bavarian countryside. So that's the southern part of Germany. Henter means kind of behind in German. And Kaifek was like another area or what the region was called. So... The Hinter Kaifek okay. farm is just that farm behind Kaifek. <laughs> so like when they means. go when they go to town and someone asks where you live and they literally just say where they live. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then it's that farm. <laughs> yes. It's a very large farm and it is about 43 miles north of Munich. So that's the main okay. big city in the area. And then the nearest town was Groburn. And that's where like uh, the families would go to attend school, church, get groceries, all of that. But other than that, they were out kind of isolated in this little farming community. We'll start with some of the history and how Henner Kaifek came into the family of the Grubers. It actually started out on Kazilia's side. She was the wife, Kazilia Gruber. Okay. So in 1877, she was actually married to a man named Joseph Assam. And it was his property. But in Germany, the way that property, I guess, passed is that when you get married, you sign a contract. And that would make your wife now the co-owner of the farm. So, Well, that's... I think this is pretty cool. cool. Okay. <laughs> so Kazilia, her last name was Sanhuter, before she got married to Joseph. She married him and she became co-owner of Hinter Kaifek. Nice. Well, I mean, and other people might argue, oh, why does she automatically get it? I'm like, he wouldn't have asked her to marry him. If he didn't trust her. If he didn't trust her and want her to have that half. I mean, what's the point? I know. He already owned the farm. And she's going to do a lot of work. Rule, so. She's going to do a lot of work because if you're marrying into a farm life, come on. Yeah. The women are doing a lot. Maybe that's why I married her. <laughs> Maybe. She was a stout. He's like, I need, I need a worker and I also need someone to bed with. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have children. They actually had three children. They had two sons and a daughter. Martin was their oldest. And then they had a little girl named Kazilia. And then Andreas, who was their youngest. And it's going to get confusing because there's another Kazilia here in a minute. Kazilia, Kazilia, Kazilia. <laughs> they had a rough marriage in the fact that they suffered the loss of their child, Andreas, their youngest, passed away just three months after he was born. So that Aww. was hard. And then two years later, Kazilia's husband, Joseph, would pass away from pneumonia. 
So that would leave her with two children. Two. So she had Martin and Kazilia, and she was taking care of a farm all alone, which is hard. Yeah, that's a lot. She's a widow. And just seven months after Joseph's death, she signed another marriage contract. And I don't know how marriage contracts works because they make this sound very legal. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm reading. <laughs> she ended up signing a marriage contract to marry Andreas Gruber. And that's where we get to today. Okay. So she lost a son named Andreas and she, and married, she married an Andreas. Andreas. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they got married and then he became co-owner of her farm. Of her farm. Okay. So it goes both ways. It, it's kind of messed up because she married this man who had a family farm. Right. He passed away and then she got remarried. And so now the farm is not in, it's not his, even in family his family really anymore. anymore. Yeah. There is a point where you start to question some of that. So that's kind of interesting. Her son, Martin, who probably would have been the one to pass the farm down, he never married and he was drafted into World War One, and he unfortunately passed away while fighting in World War One. <sighs> okay. Her daughter, Kazilia, married a man named Joseph, <laughs> which was... Her dad? Her first, yes. Okay. These names get... Okay, She moved so, off and she never wanted to come back to the farm. So she moved off. Mama Kazilia married a man with her son's name and daughter Kazilia married a man with her father's name. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. So soon after moving to Hendrik Haifek, Andreas, the new husband that she just married, developed quite the reputation for being a quick-tempered and miserly man. He was not well-liked in the area. He just was like the grumpy old dude. And there were often nasty rumors circulating around him about the treatment of his wife and children. Then why did she marry him? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's probably not a whole lot of options. 1800s. Yes. Who knows how spread far out they were. So along with the two children that she brought from her first marriage, Andreas and Kazilia would have two children together. Victoria was born just two years after they got married. And Sophie was born two years later in 1889. Sadly, Kazilia would lose yet another daughter as little Sophie passed away three months before her second birthday. Oh, my gosh. So there is a lot of speculation because it was known that Andreas was quick tempered, that he was abusive to the children. So some speculate that the child, the little girl who died before her second birthday, it could have been due to abuse. I don't want to believe that, but there were several records of that out there. Let's jump to 1903. From the backstory I just went through, currently living at Hinterkaifeck are Andreas and Kazilia Gruber, Martin, and then Victoria. And then they probably had a maid there. Okay. So what happened in 1903? Here we look at a statement made by a man who would later, he would actually be viewed as a suspect. His name is Lorenz Schlittenbauer. Lorenz Schlittenbauer. Schlittenbauer. (laughs) And he had a very complicated relationship with the family. He was like their closest thing to a neighbor. So it's important to know this guy. Okay. Lorenz is a suspect. He becomes a suspect. So Lorenz had inherited a property from his parents, but he did not have a lot of money. He just inherited it and he was like scraping by. So he was living close by, as close as you can, probably like, I don't know, half a mile away. And at the time he was married to his first wife, Victoria also. And they had two children, Magdalena and Victoria again. Goodness. I mean, there's lots of names in the world, guys. <laughs> like this is- Lorenz mentioned to the police, and this was after all of the murders and everything like that. He said that little Victoria Gruber, so Kazilia and Andreas's daughter, was 16 years old when she came to his wife and confided that her father, Andreas, was sexually abusing her. Oh, that's not okay. 
the little girl told his wife that she could no longer stand living there because anytime she was around her father, he would always want to have sex with her. I don't know why, but the Schlittenbauers never took this to the authorities. They didn't mention any of this until after the murders occurred. Okay. A lot of people suppose that perhaps the couple was afraid of Andreas. A lot of people were afraid of him because he was known to have a nasty temper. He was also very rich and had a lot of influence in the area. Even though nobody liked him, they had made quite a bit of money. I don't know if he brought money into the marriage or if it was just the farm, but they had a lot of money. The Grubers did. And that was well known. And you just didn't mess with people who had money back in these times. So nobody really Hmm. liked them. They knew he was an abusive father. And then there was the rumors that he was also sexually abusing her, sexually abusing his own daughter. Yeah. Let's jump ahead another 10 years, and this would be in March of 1914. Victoria Gruber was to be married and get away from her dad. I'm sure this was a good time for her. And she was to marry a man named Carl Gabriel. So on March 11th, 1914, they signed their marriage agreement, and this means that Hinter Kaifek would transfer over to Victoria and Carl. Why? Immediately? Yes. Why? I mean, they're not dead yet, right? It just says that Andreas and Kazilia sign the farmstead over to their daughter and her new husband. What age would they be at that point? I guess maybe they were an old age and that's why they did that. Just wondering why immediately it's signed over. So at this time, Victoria's parents would have been in their mid to late 60s. And I think the reason they signed it over is just because they probably couldn't work the farm as much as they had. And so they just wanted to put it into her hands. She had a new young husband. Victoria's 27 at this time, which is pretty old, you think? Yeah. But when I'm looking back, like her mom, Kazilia, didn't get married until she was 27 either. So maybe things were different in Germany and they didn't marry as young. Or just even just those two people. Yes. Like 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 mother, like daughter. And she's like, well, my mom didn't until she was 27. So I'm not (laughs) going to. (laughs) So the young couple was happy. They were excited and they had a bright future ahead of them. Here's the thing, though. Her parents, Andreas and Kanzilia, continued to live at Hinterkaifeck. I can't imagine getting married and my parents still living there, but they did. They lived in the same house. Well, maybe that was the condition of taking ownership. Maybe they didn't have anywhere to really stay. Yeah, I guess there's really nowhere for them to go. And Unless they were to move somewhere completely different. And the culture was probably you take care of your parents. And, probably. And that's what they did. Unfortunately, she was taking care of her Rapist. abuser. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So there were rumors that right after the marriage, Carl Gabriel left Hinterkaifeck in a huff, I guess, after a huge argument that he had with his new father-in-law, Andreas. He went back to his family and basically said he wanted to cancel the marriage contract. Oh, I don't know if you found out what was going on I mean, with possible. his wife and yeah. her dad. I don't know if her dad was still abusing her, but his parents said, no, you get your ass back to Hinterkaifeck. You're married to her and you own that farm now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you don't get to just give up something like that, son. <laughs> Live with it. Unfortunately, we don't really know what went down between Carl and Victoria because Carl, just four months after they were married, would be sent off to fight in a war. Mm-hmm. The World War One was still going on because it lasted forever and ever. And he joined and found himself on the front lines in France. And he didn't last long. He was actually killed oh, no. in action. Poor guy. Three months after he got there. So now Victoria... Is a widow. Great. Only seven months after. And still with him. And she's pregnant. And she's pregnant. They were together long enough for her to get pregnant. And she gave birth to a daughter named Kazilia. Oh, goodness. 
So we'll have older Kazilia and younger Kazilia. And so she gave birth to Kazilia on January 9th, 1915. Oh, just right before me. Now, there's a side note I have here. Some speculate that Victoria was already pregnant when she married Carl and that the actual father of little Kazilia was her own father, Andreas. Uh, It's never been confirmed. Nobody knows, but that could be why she was pushed into a marriage pretty quickly. Okay. And if you look at when she got married and when the baby was there, it it could go either way. I can see that. They did stuff like that, especially if it's out of wedlock situation. So according to Lorenz Schlittenbauer, it wasn't long after Carl's death that Victoria started suggesting to him that they should have sexual intercourse. So she came over to the neighbor, Lorenz, and started saying, let's start hooking up, basically, according to Lorenz. Okay. He said at the time he refused because he was married and he was faithful to his wife. We can decide later if we believe Lorenz or not. All right. So we're going to fast forward one more year. An anonymous source tips off authorities that there is incestuous things going on at Henner Kaifak. Some state that it was a maid that was the source saying that this was going on. Others speculate it was actually Lorenz that reported it. Okay. However, after making inquiries and interviewing both Andreas and Victoria, the police did decide that it was legit and they brought charges of incense against both of them. Oh, the girl too. I think this is pretty fucked up. Because um, she was older? Yeah, at this time she's 27, 28. I mean, but she was... Oh, she was. they were saying she was still doing it. Yes. Oh. So they were found guilty for having an incestuous relationship. Sorry, I forgot the whole 27-year-old yeah. part of it. But I mean, this started... When she was 16, she that's told true, Lorenz's but that's wife. that's grooming and crap, so... I just think that Andreas is a piece of shit, and yeah, anyone well, who's like... Well, of course, <laughs> of course. But it's this victim mentality. She never lived anywhere but Henner Kaifak. Right. She obviously went to the neighbor's wife trying to get help. They didn't help her. They right. just were like, no, your dad's too rich and influential. We're not going to help you. She's in a small town. There's like nowhere else really to go. She's afraid of her father. And then she finally thinks she's getting relief because he married her to another man. <laughs> and then that man died. And yeah. I don't know. I won't try to psychoanalyze it all. So they were both found guilty. Andreas was sentenced to one year in prison. Victoria was only sentenced to one month. Okay. At least it wasn't a horrible sentence. They weren't hung. They weren't hung. (laughs) (laughs) Typically, incest brings up to three years in prison in the Germanic law. So they both got off kind of light, I guess. The judge did recognize that Victoria had probably been coerced into the relationship. And I say that with (laughs) air quotes. Yeah. And they also took into account that there were rumors circulating around her father abusing her when she was much younger. Gotcha. She also had a young daughter at home, so they gave her less of her time so she could go back and take care of her daughter. So the daughter was now, okay, she's born now. How old is she at this point? Kazilia is. Her daughter is only five months old right now. Okay. Kazilia, so she needed her mama. Well, yeah, she did. She's probably still nursing and everything. Yeah. They didn't have baby formula back then, did they? No, probably not. (laughs) Now, this one year that Andreas was locked up in prison was probably Victoria's favorite year of her life. (laughs) She was free of him in his nightly visits. Yes. And I don't know. It never says anything about her mom, Kazilia, if she was aware of what was going on. I'm pretty sure she probably was. Maybe she was in denial. I I don't know. I mean, obviously, she's aware. They went to jail. I don't know if she was aware (laughs) how long long this had been going on. Oh, wow. I was asleep last night and I woke up. And I realized you guys were gone. Did you go camping? (laughs) (laughs) After a year, Andreas comes back and he's like, hey. Oh, he was gone a year too. (laughs) Yeah, he was gone a year. And then he came back and Victoria's like, oh, 
Crap. It's now May of 1916. So for the next couple of years, it's just normal life. Victoria is raising her young daughter, Kazilia, with her parents living at the farm with her. And she does not remarry during this time. Hopefully he's leaving her alone now. I don't think he is. I don't know. We'll find out here in a minute. Isn't he like in his late 60s now? He's actually younger than Kazilia. Kazilia's like, let's see, Kazilia's probably 68 right now. I think he's like 62, 64, but still. Okay. Nothing much happens. And then in July of 1918, Lorenz Schlittenbauer's wife, Victoria, passes away. Oh, and he's like, yay, I'm free. So now Lorenz is free. I want Victoria. So according to Lorenz, because he's the only one that's around to tell the story, he said that he's working in the hay barn when he is approached by Victoria. He says that Victoria suggested he should marry her now and then proceeded to impose herself upon him. Oh, she's like, get me out of this house. That's what I think. I... Marry me. I'll move to your house. I have a daughter. This is my favorite thing. According to him, according to Lorenz, he had no choice but to have sexual intercourse with her. Of course not. (laughs) He couldn't help it. Like, she needed it. (laughs) Do with that whatever you think. Like, whatever. (laughs) I don't believe that. But that was his statement. I just had to have sex with her. She was there. But yeah, I want to say what you're talking about. Like, this is a girl who's been abused since God knows when. We don't know when the abuse started from her dad. And like everything that she knows is that she gets attention from men by having sex with them. I mean, yes. And that exists for women. It does, unfortunately. If if you've been traumatized and abused, that's the only attention you've ever gotten in life is just men wanting your body at you as an object then that's what you do but she obviously was comfortable enough to go to him and say I would rather you marry me than him that's exactly get away this was a cry for help yeah she was like oh your wife is not here anymore you're a single man marry me and get me out of this house right that's how I yeah see it or at least that's what Loren said once again you might call that into question later her father yeah, right. Can we remember this is her father? <laughs> it's not just some gross old dude. This is her dad. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> gross. Lorenz admitted that he did sleep with Victoria around five times and that Victoria was convincing him that he should speak to her father about getting married. Now, what she didn't tell him at the time is that she was also pregnant, but she didn't want to tell him that she wanted him to like marry her quickly. And then she would tell him that she was pregnant. Is it her dad's again? So Lorenz seemed happy enough to marry Victoria. Actually, in his own words, he said, now, don't like get overtaken with the romance. He said, (laughs) I would need a wife again for my property because work on the farm is tough and without another person. I also had children that I needed help to raise. Oh, no, he still had children. Yeah, from his other wife that passed away. So he wasn't an old dude. I guess like... Lorenz was probably in his 40s. Okay. Um, that would be my guess. I don't have his exact age, but when I look at pictures, I think he was probably... She was probably like 28, 29, and he was probably like 40, 42. Okay. Her dad's like 65. So, I mean, he's like a young dude compared to your nasty old dad that's attacking you uh, every yeah. night. Andrea seemed amicable to allowing Lorenz to marry his daughter, Victoria, but Lorenz was very forward towards Andreas and said, once I marry Victoria, you cannot touch her anymore. Oh. So Lorenz knew because his wife yeah. had told him, and I'm sure him and Victoria had plenty of conversations about it. Yeah. And at that time, Andreas said, never mind, you can't marry my daughter. 
So Lorenz then meets with Victoria and says, the wedding's off. Your dad won't let me marry you. And she's like, you have to marry me. I'm pregnant and you're the father. Now, Lorenz is, of course, questioning, is he really the father? How do you know so soon? We only had sex five times. And he points out to Victoria, he's like, I know you're still sleeping with your father and the child could be your father's. Yeah. And then Victoria says... Please marry me. The best thing that could happen is for me to be married and you become the legitimate father of our child or a child. She doesn't really. (laughs) I don't think she really knows. Well, how you can't know. So then Lorenz is like, "Okay, Victoria, I'll try one more time. So he's walking back to his house and he sees Andreas out working in the field. And he's like, I'm going to go speak with him again and try and reason with him. He feels sorry for Victoria, I think, because he knows she's in this impossible situation. And he now knows that she's pregnant with a child. Right. And he sees Andreas working in the field as he's walking back to his house. And he's like, I'm going to sort this mess out. Maybe I can, you know, figure it out and I'll still marry Victoria because, you know, he needed this girl to raise his kids. Yeah, he also needed help as well. (laughs) (laughs) So he doesn't approach it in the right way because he, of course, brings up to Andreas that he knows Victoria's pregnant and he's like, this baby could be yours too, right? Mm. I know what's (laughs) going on in the bedroom with you and your daughter. And then Lorenz threatens to report Andreas for incest again and send him back to prison. And Andreas is like, fuck off, dude. And he starts chasing him. It says he chases him <laughs> off the land with a scythe, which is like what the Grim Reaper carries. Oh, okay. So he's like, get okay. out of here. And like starts chasing him with this big thing. Crazy times in Germany Crazy right times. now. So after this, Lorenz decides that he'll go try and rationalize with the mother, Kazilia. I mean, at this point, I've heard nothing about her. I'm just imagining her sitting in a rocking chair, having dementia, having no part of anything this entire time. She kind of seems that way. I mean, that's what I... You haven't said anything about her. <laughs> There's not much written about yeah. Kazilia, actually. I'm just like, she's just sitting there. <laughs> I, I'm guessing, okay, here's my theory on Kazilia. The love of her life was Joseph Assam. Yeah. They got married and then he died, unfortunately, in World War One. And then her parents are like, you're going to marry this guy, Andreas. And she's like, okay. And mm. so she married him. But I don't know that it sounds like they never had much of a romantic relationship. I mean, and then he starts screwing his own daughter. I would never want to. I mean, first of all, I would probably quietly kill my husband if he was like abusing my daughter for real. Yeah, I would find a way. And even if I went to prison, I would know that I did the right thing. I would never, ever let that happen in my house if I knew about it. Yep. She's just like, oh, well, men are men. If he was truly abusive, too, like, I don't know. She's afraid of him, too. She may be afraid or maybe she's not in her right mind. She's already disassociated in some way. It's We have no information on her (laughs) and there's nothing out there you know from their personal writings everything that we know is going to be hearsay from the neighbors and the and Lorenz and anyone else who interacted with the family I guess I was just saying at this point I'm not picturing her as this woman that was like okay with it no I can't but I also have no information they were both abused by Andreas everyone in the household was abused by him in some way Maybe she's also thinking in her mind, too, if I don't get out now, he's going to go start with my daughter. I would think that she wants out. She's desperate. In these times in Germany, from what I understand, you can't just go find your own man. It has to be approved and a marriage contract has to be signed by your father. And can you imagine trying to find a husband when your father's your abuser? He's not going to just let everybody in. Okay. He, He wouldn't let her marry Lorenz when she wanted to. Yeah. Okay. 
So Lorenzo was trying to convince him to marry him and Victoria because he was basically blackmailing him. Like, I know this baby's probably not mine. It's probably yours. But let Mm -hmm. me marry Victoria. I'll take it on. And then Andreas was like, how dare you accuse me of that? And chased him off with the the scythe. Okay. So then Lorenz was like, I'm going to approach it from the other side. I'm going to go talk to Kazilia, the mother. Mm. And he mentioned to the mother that he wasn't for sure of the paternity of Victoria's child. He's like, I don't even know if this child is mine. Kazilia's like, how dare you insinuate that that's not your child? You're the only one that Victoria is sleeping with. And you know what? Now that you brought it up and you know this, if you're not getting married, you're going to pay for this child, child support or whatever they called it back then. <laughs> He's like, OK, well, then I'll just report him again. Basically. And. Victoria was, of course, on the sidelines with Lorenz, like, please, like, I won't make you pay anything. Just marry me. Like, she's trying to get this. But like, Andreas is never going to let that happen. Mm. And of course, if you look at it this way, too, if Lorenz married Victoria, he would become co-owner of Henner Kaifek, which I think is probably I mean, also, he wants the girl to come take care of his kids and help him tend his farm. When we look at like the money situation, the Grubers who own Henner Kaifek, as I said, were very rich and influential. Lorenz was not. Lorenz was barely scraping by. He didn't come from family money. And so this really rubbed him the wrong way when he was told he was now going to be paying child support to Victoria for a child that he didn't believe was his. Because she she said, please marry me. <laughs> and then the dad wouldn't let him. So I'm bringing all of this up because yeah. this will tie in later. I mean, all of this crazy drama going on between the neighbors. I don't know how it all works in the court systems back in the early 1900s. I have no idea. But they said that they were going to take him to court and he was going to pay. And Lorenz was like, I know that there's a potential that I'm not the father and that the father could also well be the grandfather. I mean, at is- least he has... He has some proof to that. They both went to jail for incest. It's not like it's coming out of anywhere, you know. So Lorenz did go to the authorities in September of 1919 to report incest again between Victoria and her father, Andreas. However, just a few days later, Victoria would give birth to Joseph Gruber. And so the charges were kind of dropped at that point because they can't try this woman who's in the hospital having a baby. Joseph. Joseph is her baby. They can't choose any other names. It's all Joseph's, Victoria's and Cazilia's in this story. That's it. And a couple Andreas is in there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's why it's fun to read this while drinking wine. So Victoria had her baby Joseph on September 7th and actually the charges were continuing and then they arrested Andreas on September 13th. So that was just six days after Joseph was born and they were continuing the investigation. But then for whatever reason, Lorenz withdrew his report and all charges were dropped and Andreas returned to Hinter Kaifek and he was named as the official guardian of baby Joseph Gruber. At least it's a boy. It is a boy. (laughs) So at least they can't. Yes. So basically Victoria and Lorenz made their own side deal and she said, you know what? I'll bring you the money. My parents will never know. And then you can pay them the money that they're saying you owe for the paternity of my child and this will all just go away. So she went and got 2,000 marks, gave them to Lorenz, and then he took that back and paid it to Andreas. Oh, okay. So it looked like he fulfilled his obligation. Her hope was that all of that would make everything better and then she could marry Lorenz because she really still wanted to marry him. Okay. And then Lorenz was listed on the birth certificate as the actual father. So everything seemed better 
Lorenz wasn't really involved in raising the child and they weren't getting married. I think even at this point, Lorenz went off and started dating someone else. Poor Victoria was stuck there. He really shouldn't stay. It's super (laughs) toxic. Lorenz did end up marrying another woman because he needed that woman to take care of those kids in the farm. So in 1921, he married a woman named Anna. And Anna already had a son named Joseph, of course, because it couldn't be any other name. I was going to say, we have a new name, Anna. Yes, we have Anna, but she had a Joseph. (laughs) So (laughs) there we are. Anna and Lorenz would go on to have five children together. What? How many children did he have from his first wife? I think two or three. So now he has eight. And then Anna seven, came eight. into the marriage with one son, and then they had five together. Like, just so, stop. It's what you do on the farm. You have they, more kids to take care of the farm. They blame everyone now for having too many kids. No, it's these people. Yeah, they had way too many kids back then. That's all they did was had babies. So that's where I'm going to stop with Lorenz and Victoria. So their love story ends there. Unfortunately, he felt like he didn't get what he wanted, which was to marry Victoria and have the farm, the co-farm. Yeah, the (laughs) the co-ownership of the farm. And he was a little butthurt about the fact that they said that Joseph, little baby Joseph was his and that he should pay child support. Victoria, of course, tried to figure it out by taking the money from her dad, giving it to Lorenz to then pay back to her yeah. father. So everything seems good okay. for now. Lorenz has gone on, married another woman. Life's fine. Five so children obviously moved on. They're busy. So now I want to talk about the maid. Her name was Crescent's Rieger. So this is not the maid that we talked about that was murdered, but this is the maid that was working for the Grubers for many years right before the murder happened. And she has some interesting insight because she lived with the Grubers for two years. Okay. So she was employed by Victoria because Victoria now had two children and she needed the help because she was also, you know, taking care of the farm. Crescent's Rieger would come up as a suspect whenever the murders occurred because she worked there and then she abruptly left the farm and they wanted to know why. There are theories out there and there are in a lot of other podcasts that I listen to that she believed the farm was haunted because she heard strange noises and weird happenings going on that she didn't feel safe there. Hmm. There was even rumors that Andreas Gruber actually got her pregnant, too. I mean, you can't put it past somebody. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't know. However, none of those seem very true. But there is reason that she did not feel safe living at Hinterkaifeck. And that's what I want to focus on and not the, you know, as much as I love paranormal and hauntings, I don't think Hinterkaifeck was haunted or cursed like you might hear on other things. But there were some things going on that scared this maid away. Yeah. So who was Crescent's Rieger? So she was born in 1897 in a town that I'm not going to try and pronounce. Okay. <laughs> Crescent's met the love of her life, Jacob. He also got called into World War One, And I think this is just a story for everyone back I know. then. Those young men all got sent off to World War One. So did Jacob. He actually got injured. He got shrapnel in his knee. And for that reason, he got discharged. And I think that's probably what saved his life because everybody else who went to World War One never came back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Once he was discharged from the army, Jacob and Crescents continued their relationship. He found work as a factory worker and she took up various positions as a maid. By the time Crescents arrived at Henner Kaifax, she was actually four to five months pregnant with Jacob's child. Okay. Sadly, Jacob and Crescents would never get to raise their 
child together. It was actually a daughter because in May of 1921, Jacob would go in for surgery on his knee, the one that had the shrapnel, and he would not survive the operation. Fuck. She gave birth to her baby. I don't really understand why, but her daughter was taken away from her. But the decision was made by a doctor. I don't know if he said that she had some kind of mental condition. She gave birth out of wedlock because her and Jacob were not married. But she's okay to help care for children as she's a maid. A maid. Yeah. Because of that, you know, she basically became almost part of the family at Hinderkaifeck. And it sounds like her and Victoria were pretty close. So poor Crescent was dealing with the fact that the love of her life died. She then had his baby and the baby was taken away from her. And during this time, she was living at Hinterkaifeck and she was dealing with unwanted attention from a man named Anton Bickler. This would actually be the reason that she would eventually exit her maid job at Hinterkaifeck, not because of hauntings or anything else that you hear out of there. He was just like a helper or something? Who's this dude? Mr. Bickler, she would encounter him only a few days into her employment. And according to her statement, he proposed to her. Right away? He's like, oh, right. hi. He's like, I must New have lady. you. Okay. <laughs> Can you marry me? Okay, we're living I've in been rural. <laughs> we're in rural Bavaria. There's not a lot of new girls coming into the area. So maybe that's why he's like, oh, hi. New blood. Let's get married. <laughs> Crescent told her employers that this guy, Anton, had come up and asked her to marry him. And they immediately said, oh, that's not the kind of guy you want to get involved with. <laughs> Both the Grubers and Victoria stated that Anton was a thief. And they had their suspicions that he had stolen some of their chickens. Mm. However, they said this about Bickler, but they were allowing him to board, like be a boarder at the farm. So he was paying them money to stay there every two to three weeks. And he would come in and help do work on the property. So he was just like a kind of hired worker whenever he was in town. Okay. So that's where and he came from. And then at night, he stuffed a chicken in his bag. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? Maybe he's just hungry. I mean, they talk, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't like this. What are you doing? (laughs) Anyways, every time he would come to the farm every two to three weeks, he would continue to try and proposition Crescent and she didn't like it. He would knock at her bedroom in the middle of the night to speak to her. Even right after she had given birth to her daughter, he was like, hey, baby, marry me. And she's like, go away. You don't have access. I said no. He didn't live at the farm? No, he was just a boarder that would so come through he would come and help with odd jobs. and knock on her windows? The times that he was there. Because he would come oh, and stay every okay. two or three weeks for a few days. And while he was there, he'd come knock up at her window and be like, hey, baby, marry me. <laughs> but if you get pregnant again out of wedlock, we'll just like disown you from life. So she said he finally got the message that it wasn't going to happen. Like she wasn't going to marry him. She had no interest in him. And that's <laughs> when they say Anton Bickler turned very nasty. Rejection. Men don't like rejection. Crescent talks about hearing from some of the neighboring residents that he had told them that he wanted to kill her. Oh, my gosh. Like taking it too far. A little bit. I mean, she just had a baby. Can we calm down? (laughs) Her husband died. It wasn't her husband, but like the love of her her life life died. died. Yeah. It's a different time. And they just viewed women as like, you should be happy. that she's helping to raise other other children. While being probably completely depressed about the fact that her baby was taken yeah. away from her like this woman's having and a she's lot probably getting advances from said andreas father <laughs> okay probably honestly it's a very this was a very bleak time for women yeah. in germany at least in this part it's like you were just there and you're supposed to be happy if any man comes through and says he fancies you you're just supposed to fall at his 
and don't have a baby out of wedlock because ooh, shame I mean, on we, you. We just talked about that with the, the cold case. Yes. How much they looked down on women and pressured them and things happened because if you have a baby out of wedlock, you're a dirty, dirty damn, girl. Shame on you. And it was an entire nation's concern. Apparently. Never the guy's fault. So it was stated he also wanted to kill the Grubers and Victoria Gabriel because he blamed them and it was their fault that he did not get the Zinzi is what he called it, which is a short form of the name Crescent. So Anton didn't get the Zinzi and he was even bold enough to tell someone that the Kaifecker should all be killed. A statement I'm sure he would regret later because that would make him a really, really good suspect. Yeah. And also an incredibly stupid murderer if it were really him. Anton was not alone in making public just how dead he thought the Grubers and their families should be. There was also his brother Carl and another worker on the farm named George Siegel that said the same thing. So this is three other people that basically wished ill will on the Grubers and publicly stated that if they all died, it would be a good thing. Unsurprisingly, this is what actually finally drove Crescents from the farm because she just felt like it wasn't safe there because yeah. these, you know, three. Well, first of all, she has this man harassing her every single night. And then she hears these other two are saying they should all die. And she's like, you know what? I can find a job somewhere else. I'm going to leave. So she did. She left at the end of August 1921. And that was seven months before the residents of Hinterkaifeck would brutally have their lives taken. So she made a smart move. Yeah, she got the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, hopefully she went and found her kid. I don't know. I never Came saw anything about that. that. She was questioned after the murders, like actually quite a bit of the information in the blog or the website that I read, which was actually in German and then translated. Crescent statements gave us a lot of the story because she lived there for two years. So that's the story of Crescent, which is different than what you might hear in other retellings of Henry Kaifek. They'll okay. say that she thought it was haunted and that's why she left. No, no. she knew there were some creepy dudes out there threatening, which is always more realistic, honestly, than ghosts and yes. all the yeah. other fun things we want to think. It's really, you know, the human men that scare us more than anything. It literally from that point in time could be that she heard something outside. This is dark, dark times, by the way. I oh, mean, yeah. There's I mean, no the street lights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She heard things and she's describing what she was feeling in a moment and that's what carries on and now it's haunted. But no, it's just fucked up dudes. (laughs) (laughs) So now I want to talk about strange events that were occurring at the Hinterkaifeck farm right before the murders occurred. These are noted out there and most of these came from Andreas Gruber himself because he started getting freaked out by some of these occurrences at the farm and he was telling people when he would go into the local town, hey, this kind of weird stuff is happening at my farm. I don't know what to think about it. Someone's fucking with them? Maybe. Maybe. So the first notable event, and this was during the month of March, the murders took place on March 31st. So during the month of March, at the beginning... Andreas Gruber came out and he found a newspaper on his front porch. Now, this newspaper was actually from Munich. And for you to get a Munich newspaper, you would have had to get it from Munich, get it from Munich or be in like one of the larger towns nearby to have a subscription that would come to you from Munich. Okay. So this is a weird event for him to find a Munich newspaper laying on his front porch. He specifically mentioned it to the postman when he came by and he said, hey, did you happen to drop this newspaper off? Maybe it was meant for another household. And the postman's like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. (laughs) 
he asked, you know, everyone who lived there. I mean, who else would have gotten it? Because Zillia, she's like 65 years old, never leaves the house. Victoria, like she wouldn't have had it. So that was the first odd thing is like this random newspaper from Munich shows up. Nobody else is at the farm, they think. Mm, It's someone saying I'm in Munich or I've been in Munich. Something to Munich, obviously, Mm -hmm. unless there was some kind of actual article in there that they're like, you need to see this. There's nothing in anything that I could find that said there was like a specific article called out or whatever, but it seems like somebody was dropping a hint. Well, yeah, that either the hint is, hey, it's me. I'm close. Right. I'm in Munich. Like dropping the hint that this, you know, it can't be delivered there. Someone from Munich had to come bring this to you and I'm at your front doorstep and you know who it is. We don't have the whole story. We don't have the whole story because everyone's dead at the farm now. We do know that it caused some concern from Andreas because he's like, this is not normal for a newspaper to show up on the front door. The other thing that is put out there quite a bit is sounds in the attic. So there were mysterious sounds of footsteps in the attic and they were mentioned by several people within the house. And there's recounts of like Victoria hearing it. Even when Crescent was there, she, and that was seven months before the murder, she mentioned hearing sounds, weird sounds in the attic. And it was happening with enough frequency that Andreas Gruber would go up there several times to investigate and never find anything. We don't really know what was going on with the footsteps in the attic, but it does come up in most sources because Andreas once again mentioned it to people in town. He mentioned it alongside the paper and then a couple other incidents I'm going to go into. So I don't know if the attic sounds were necessarily a big deal on their own or if it was just when they combined it with some of the other strange things that happened. So another story that was brought up by Andreas is that he found strange footprints in the snow. What was interesting about this is that the tracks in the snow led towards the house, towards the door of what they call the engine house, which is where all of like the farm tools are kept, where the specific pickaxe, that's also called a mattock, that would end up being used in the murders. That would be where this was stored. Okay. So it's like a barn. Yeah. It's like a tool shed with I don't know what the engine house would be. I don't know what kind of engine would be in there. Like a tractor? Something. Okay. (laughs) Anyways, there were some tracks that came from the woods and led towards the engine house, but there were no tracks leading back away from the engine house. So somebody came into the engine house and then we don't know what happened to them. Okay. He also found that the lock had been torn open inside of the toolbox inside of the engine room, barn, whatever it was. Somebody got into that tool chest and we never saw those same footprints leaving. I have a map of the property. It's very large and I thought I had it written down how large it was, but I don't think I do. But like you would go into the engine room and then you could access the barn and everything like that from the engine room. So they could have walked somewhere. I don't know where else they would have gone that it wouldn't have shown tracks. So they would have had to stay inside. Maybe they climbed up into the barn. Well, that's what I'm saying. If they climbed, because most of the bigger barns would have the second story where they they kept hay or something like that. And they could be hiding behind there and shit would dry. At first I'm like, are we doing real ghosty stuff? It's like a tiny little shed thing where they have, you know, like in those horror movies where all the dangerous weapons are hanging on the walls when the (laughs) person runs in. Or is this like an actual barn where there's a tractor and you you can get somewhere? Okay. So there was a interview done and this was years and years after the murder. It's joined like 30 years after. And this was with a man named Jacob Siegel. And he said he actually talked to Andreas Gruber about the tracks in the snow. And he said that he thought the 
old man is what he called him, had a little bit of paranoia after finding the newspaper. So now he was like, who's on my property or whatever. And he told Jacob Siegel that he saw two tracks in the snow that led to the farm, but they didn't leave again. And then when Jacob was like, well, is anything missing? He said, nothing's really missing except for, and this is the next weird thing, the house key. It's gone. Oh, you know, that thing that helps us get into our house. They had one house key that hung by the door and it went missing. So then the only way for them to lock the door was from inside with the deadbolt. They couldn't unlock it from the outside because the house key went missing. I think this is written maybe because of the translation and other things, how the story was told. It sounds like it was like the extra keys were hanging there and he still had his own set of keys. Okay. Okay. But they had an extra key that like, I think the girls would use when they went in and out or something. If they left while maybe Andreas was out in the field, they had this extra set of keys and that went missing. And Andreas asked, of course, Kazilia, the kids, Victoria, did one of you guys take the key? Did you give it to someone? And they're all like, no, we didn't touch the key. So that's interesting. So you've got three things now. You've got a weird newspaper just showing up. Then you've got tracks in the snow leading to the barn engine room and never leaving. And the tool shed was broken into. And now there's a house key missing. And this is all within a few days before the murders took place. There's one other strange event that happened. And that was the reports from both Andreas and Victoria that they saw a figure standing in the woods. Okay. So this came after they saw the footprints in the snow. Nothing more was really said, like what the figure looked like. They alluded to it being a man, but that's all that we know there as well. Big old alien. (laughs) Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Someone's sleepwalking. Oh, and we also have sounds in the attic that have supposedly been happening for like a year now. So is there somebody living in the attic? Yes, there is. Now, another weird happening around mid to late March is that so the church in Groburn is where the Grubers went every single Sunday. Victoria sang in the choir. So they were often seen there. At some point in the month of March, someone found 700 gold marks in a confessional. The pastor at the time, his name was Pastor Haas, was definite in his statement attributing this to the Gruber slash Gabriel household, saying that in a conversation he had with Victoria, Gabriel, she admitted that it was her who had left it there. But there's suspicion that she didn't really leave the money there for the church, but that it was intended to be picked up by somebody else. The thought is, and this is another theory that's out there, Victoria was trying to get out of the farm. And perhaps she was paying someone to help get her and her daughter out. In fact, there were people. I mean, she's been trying for how long? Right. She's been throwing herself at different men. she's ready to fucking go. Yes. And there was claims that someone saw Victoria out in the cemetery of the church with a stranger talking. And then they started arguing and she slapped him across the face. There's not much more about this. The other thing that we know is that for some reason that no one knows, Victoria emptied her entire bank account before the murders happened. And these 700 gold marks were left at the church that they know was attributed back to Victoria. So that's a weird something, but nobody knows. They say nothing's a coincidence, but I mean, who knows? Another big thing that happened, and this was just three days before... The murders would happen on Friday, March 31st. There was supposedly a violent fight that broke out in the Hinterkaifeck household. It's not known what happened, how it began, or what it was about. But at some point, Victoria hysterically fled from the house. She ran into the woods and was missing for several hours. 
According to some sources, several neighbors even ended up joining the search as the night was very cold and they were worried about her with the bad weather. They found her. She was probably hoping they wouldn't. I don't know what she was planning, but they found her. They brought her back. And the only reason we know that this occurred is because her daughter, Kazilia Gabriel, was scolded the next day in school because she kept falling asleep during her lesson. And she explained the above incident. And she said, Mm -hmm. I was up late last night because my mom went missing, basically. Oh, poor kid. Go to school. Right. Teacher slops her with a freaking roller. Wake up. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, give me a break. According to a classmate that knew Kazilia many years later, like she stated this, um, she said that Kazilia told her that the reason her mom ran away is because Andreas had hit her mother. Probably. I'm sure he did. Here's my thought is that he found out she was planning to leave or something like that. They got into a big fight and she was like, I'm leaving. I mean, she'd been trying this entire time. It's not Mm -hmm. new. Her leaving may have been the catalyst for the murders, not the other way around. Could have been. It wasn't the funding of said murder. It was she's leaving. Someone found out and then everything happened. She emptied her bank account. We know that. She took 700 gold marks to the church. It got found and the church took it, but maybe it was meant for someone else. We don't know. That's all the details that I have, unfortunately. Do we need a Ouija board? Let's I mean, talk we've to talked Victoria. To, we've <laughs> talked about this. We need like answers from beyond, not just shit we research. <laughs> I know. So that's going to bring us up to the day of the murders. So we are now on Friday, March 31st of 1922. So around 5 p.m. that day, two women arrived at Hendrik Haifek. They were sisters named Franziska and Maria Baumgartner. Maria was to start work at Hendrik Haifek as the new maid that day. No, Maria. You know what? There's not a Maria I don't like. So her sister, Francisca, reminisces now after her sister was killed. She said nothing really happened while they were there, but something made her feel uneasy about leaving her sister. And she said that the farm just felt incredibly lonely. And she also said she recounted as she was leaving, her sister came running up to her one more time just to hug her before she left. So it was like they felt something there. Yeah. You know how you have those feelings. It sounds like her sister and her had that, but she was like, oh, it's just a job. The way that you just said that, though, that they felt it was really lonely. I just have this. I picture it in my mind, this big house on this big farm. And I picture the elder mommy, Casilia, like in a corner somewhere. Mm-hmm. Victoria is, I don't know, like pouting on a swinging bench. Yeah. In the front. <laughs> Her father is brooding somewhere. Right. And this little poor child, Casilia, is just like, well, you know, I'm going to draw. She's probably running around. Yeah. Well, at this point, she's like probably like eight. She's nine. Nine. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she's trying to become her own. And so right. she's probably drawing. I don't know. Maybe she's sitting under a tree somewhere. Yep. And then two-year-old Joseph. Joseph. He's just like, someone pay attention to me. Yeah. And then here comes this maid. And yeah, they're all lonely. It's not a yeah. family unit. No, not in any and way. And they just could sense it. So that's the last we know of the afternoon of March 31st. So we're going to move into how everything was discovered. Around 3 a.m., a local farmer, Simon, passes the gate that leads to the farmhouse of Henrik Haifek. He's on his way home. God knows where at 3 a.m. Maybe he'd been out drinking at the bars. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, his path takes him along the edge of the woods that borders the property of Henrik Haifek. There he sees two figures at the edge of the trees. He said they were unidentifiable, but that he is sure they were both men. 
and they appear to be talking in hushed voices. As they spot him walking, they stop conversing and turn to hide their faces as he walks past them. Hmm. It is not until he hears later about the murders at Henner Kaifek that he thinks any more of that. The next morning, Saturday, April 1st, it's noted that Kazilia Gabriel is not in school. It's quite unusual for the family to not send her. However, the story that she had told to her teacher and the classmates is still fresh in their minds about like the fight that went on and how she was falling asleep. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, you know, perhaps she's just still tired. Maybe the mom ran away again. There's some kind of family problem drama going on. So they officially recorded her absence, but no attempts were made to contact the family at Henner Kaifek. And they were going to school on Saturday. That's pretty fucked up. (laughs) I mean, we don't know how they put it together back then. Maybe if you missed one day because of the snow, then it just went to Saturday. Midday on Saturday, April 1st, two men approached the farm. They were the brothers Hans and Edward Shervoski. They were traveling coffee salesmen, (laughs) which sounds kind of fun. They knocked on the door several times and they couldn't get any answer. The only sounds they could hear were that of the farm dog and the cattle. From what I understand, Hans and Edward had, I think they had arranged an appointment or maybe they were just desperate to try and sell some coffee, but they felt like someone should be there. So then it is said that they checked other doors. So they knocked on the front door, nobody answered. And then they went around to the back and it said they were looking through the windows. They said everything was locked up tight and there was nothing to be seen, except for they noticed that the engine house door, which was the one that we talked about earlier, was open. Upon leaving the farm and before returning to wherever they were staying, Hans and Edward did tell a few of the villagers, including the next door neighbor, Lorenz Schlittenbauer, we'll bring him <laughs> back, and Jacob Siegel, who lived in the area, they told them, they're like, nobody seems to be home at Henner Kaifek, which is weird because where did anybody go? If it wasn't Sunday, like for the whole family to be gone is really right. strange. And this sounds like it's winter. It's March. Yeah, it's still snowing right. and everything. So it was snowing. They saw footprints, blah, blah, blah. And so, yes, where are they if no one else knows Nobody's answering. Are? Yeah. And usually, you know, because is not going to be out doing stuff because Zillia's probably always in the house the yes. older Kazilia and even the kids so She's it's sitting just in odd. front of a fire in a rocking chair with a blanket on what I want to do right now <laughs> <laughs> between the hours of 3 p.m and 5 p.m that Saturday two hunters stop at the farm in the hopes of buying some food why are there so many people all of a sudden going to this house <laughs> apparently maybe this happened Coffee, all the time hunters Like this kind of stuff probably happened all the time in this area, but we're just knowing about it now because nobody's answering. But they're so spread out. It makes it seem like they're just like solicitors on the street. This (laughs) is like in the woods. Well, from what I understand. It's behind. It's Hunter. It's Hunter. (laughs) It's Hunter. I'm confused. (laughs) Well, the coffee salesmen were apparently invited out. I think they had an appointment. And so they were pissed. They're like, oh, we traveled all the way out to Hunter lands here. And for some (laughs) coffee. So these hunters are looking for food, just like the coffee salesmen. They knock on the door and nobody answers. They also note and told the police how empty and quiet the farmyard is. They didn't even see a wandering chicken around. There was no smoke coming from the chimney to signal that like dinner was being cooked. Okay, but this is all, no one's been inside yet, right? No one's been inside yet. Okay, okay. Around 11.30 p.m. that night, a carpenter named Michael Plocky is walking home and his path takes him along the edge of the woods that runs alongside the Henterkaifek property and pretty much right past the gate that leads to the main farmhouse. Now it's very dark out and as you can imagine it's very 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 dark out there. (laughs) Because of this because of how dark it is he notices that there's a faint glow coming from the Henterkaifek kitchen. He doesn't really pay much attention to it to begin with because you know sometimes people are up late at night. It's 11 30 p.m. Usually people would be asleep, but he's like, you know, it's a farm. They're probably up like getting 
bread ready. Maybe they're practicing yoga. I mean, who knows? It's 1130 p.m. Like people could be up getting a late night snack or getting something prepped for the next day. He said he stopped for some reason and he noticed a odd smell in the air. He said the smoke rising from the chimney is very foul smelling. It does not smell like burnt food or like flesh burning or anything like that. But he says it's extremely unpleasant and he hesitates for a moment before deciding to make sure that everything is okay at the farm. He starts walking towards the gate to the farmhouse. He doesn't get very far before he notices a figure in front of him. It's very dark, so he can't really see this person, but they're pointing a light directly at his face. Michael instantly feels incredibly uneasy and he stops walking, but he still calls out to them asking if everything is okay. He didn't get any reply, but the figure stepped towards him and he believed one hand was holding the light and the other hand came up in the light and he could see it was holding some kind of weapon. And he decided that he would just turn and run from the farm. Okay. I don't know what he thought, but that was the story that was out there. On Sunday morning, two women who sing in the choir show up at Henrik Haifak to meet with Victoria, as they usually do. Usually she's already there and waiting for them, but not on this Sunday morning. They wait for a few minutes, but still no one appears from the farm. They eventually decide that Victoria has either chosen to leave earlier that day or accompany her family instead, so they go on to Groburn without her. However, as the morning service begins, it becomes clear that none of the Henrik Haifak residents were at church that morning, which is very odd. Hmm. Yeah, especially if they're expected. At some point during the afternoon of Sunday, Jacob Siegel's son heads to Henner Kaifak to purchase some lard. Again, there are no signs of human life and he cannot get anyone to answer the door. Although he does notice that all of the farm animals have been taken care of. They all have food and water and they've been let out into the field for the day. So he decides he'll just come back the next day and doesn't see anyone there, but assumes they're just out doing something like working in the field. Yeah. So now it's Monday morning. And once again, Kazilia Gabriel does not show up for school. This does not result in a check-in on the family, but it does cause some talk in Groburn and people begin to realize that no one has been able to see or speak with a resident of Hinterkaifeck for three days in a row now. Mm. That Monday, the postman, Joseph Meyer, delivers the local newspaper as usual to Hinterkaifeck. He leaves the paper in the kitchen window just as he always does, but this time he notices that little Joseph's bassinet isn't there as it usually always is. And there's also no sign of Kazilia Gruber with whom he usually exchanges a few words. Despite this, everything seems perfectly normal in the kitchen. There are signs of food being cooked and eaten, and the kitchen door is also half open. So someone's there. Okay. In the attic. They're from the attic. (laughs) They're living in the attic. Now we're up to Tuesday, and Kazilia Gabriel misses yet another day of school. And this time, her teacher decides in the afternoon she'll try to find somebody who knows what's going on at Henner Kaifek or who is willing to go out and check on the little girl and her family to make sure everything's okay. Also on Tuesday around 9 a.m., a man named Albert Hoffner arrives at Henner Kaifek because he's there to make repairs on a diesel engine that was in the engine room. I guess that's why it's called the engine room. <laughs> <laughs> he rode in there on his bicycle and he notices that there's no real sign of life at the front of the farmhouse. There's no animals. There's no you know people walking around. So he makes his way around to the back of the house to let them know that he's there and ready to start work. He finds the back door is locked and there's no one seen in the kitchen. He decides to wait and settles in under the same tree that he parked his bike at. An hour goes by and nobody shows up and he realizes he can't wait any longer because he has other jobs. So he just makes himself kind of at home and walks around to the engine house. He finds that it's locked, but he realizes that he can kind of pry his way in. So he does. And he goes in and starts working on the engine. That's just how things are done. I mean, you have a job to do. Yeah. Your first thought is never going to be everyone is murdered inside. 
No, he just assumes they're out in the field or whatever. And they I'm all gonna, went to town. I'm going to be a good kid. I'm going to get started working even though you're not here. I'm here. Yeah. So he's there for four and a half hours with nobody coming to see him. He completes his work. He later testifies that he made sure to make a lot of noise. He was singing. He was whistling. He was running the engine for long periods of time. He didn't want somebody to think that he broke in, I guess. <laughs> so he's like, I'm here. I'm doing good things. Mm-hmm. And then he said he reattached the hook and padlock before making his way back to leave. And that's when he noticed that the barn door is wide open. He decides not to enter as he thinks you're not supposed to be in there, but he does peer inside from a few feet away. He notes in a statement that nothing was inside despite the barn door being wide open. He then heads to the front door and discovers that not only is it locked, but the dog is also now tied up on the front porch and barking. That's always a bad sign. Always a bad sign. Albert took a look inside the windows next to the front door, but he sees no one and nothing suspicious. He realized he probably wasn't going to find anyone, so he took off to his next job. As he's pulling away from the farm on his bike, he runs into two little girls who happen to be Loren Schlittenbauer's daughters, Victoria and Maria, and the mayor of Wangen. I don't know who that is, but apparently he was walking with these two little girls. And he tells them that he just completed his repairs at Hinterkaifact and no one was there. Now, the odd thing about this, if you look at the statement by Albert, it could be safely assumed that there had to have been a person there while he was working because this unknown person had to have led the dog because the dog was originally in the stable when Albert showed up and then it was tied up on the front porch. Someone was there. Someone moved in. But he never saw anyone. Loren Schlittenbauer hears from his two daughters that Albert Hoffner was at the farm and nobody was there. So Lorenz makes the decision that he's going to send his two sons. He had a 16-year-old named Johan and Joseph, who was nine, and he said, go over to the farm. It's now been four days since anyone has seen a resident of Henner Kaifak, and people are starting to talk. Upon arriving at Henner Kaifak, the two boys proceeded to look into the windows, but just like everyone else, they didn't see anything. After this, they headed off around the house, they looked in the stables, and they noticed that the door was locked. And then they heard a dog barking from inside the stable okay so now the dog's been moved again this person whoever it is taking care of the dogs he's feeding the animals yeah he likes the animals he's cooking in the kitchen because albert said that there was food in the kitchen or no Mm. the postman said there was food in the kitchen yeah we've seen smoke coming from the chimney so in the last four days somebody's been there doing something right the boys thought that perhaps andreas and victoria were out cutting wood somewhere and they just headed home and told their father that they couldn't find anyone. So now it's 4 p.m. on Tuesday and Lorenzo's son said, we don't, nobody's there. And Lorenzo's like, this is weird. So he decides to go get his other neighbor, Jacob Siegel. And then he also gets another neighbor named Michael Pohl. And the three of them are going to go over to Hinter Kaifak and see what's going on. So the men show up on the farm and instead of going into the house, which would seem like the first place to start, Lorenz leads them into the courtyard and over to the barn. I mean, is the is the barn first? No, the house is. And that's Jacob questions Lorenz. And he's like, why would we go to the barn first? And he's like, I think we can get into the main house through the barn. Okay. So I don't know if it was like connected. I mean, and they knew the main door was locked because Lorenzo's kids had told him. Well, I mean, and he probably knows the house. He was semi-dating her. Yeah, he's slash, been over there right. sleeping with Victoria and everything. Right. So he does know his way around. Lorenz is like, just follow me, guys. I know what's up. So they show up and the door is locked and they break it down and make their way inside. According to Jacob, the first thing Lorenz does is go straight over to where there is a cow poking its head out from the side of the stable. And he wanted to lead it back so it could be tied up. So there was like a little cow that was kind of wandering and Lorenz is like, oh, we got to take care of the cow. So while he's doing that, the rest of them follow him through the room. They're doing this a little cautiously. It's dark in there. 
and they had noticed that Lorenz had stumbled over something in the dim light. No, not okay. All Bodies. of a sudden, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the two men call out to Lorenz that they think they found something. And as he's coming back after putting the little calf away, they peer closer and there is hay. And this is when they see a foot. Mm. Jacob and Michael at this point say, okay, we should leave everything alone. Let's go tell the cops. I mean, it's smart. But Lorenz is like, no. <laughs> and he starts throwing the hay out of the way. And they see Andreas Gruber on top, then his wife, Kazilia Gruber, and his daughter, Victoria Gabriel. Whoever had killed them had made an attempt to stack the bodies on top of one another and then tried to conceal them with hay. Why is he throwing everything on top out of the way? I mean, is he looking for her? I don't know. Lorenz starts moving the bodies. He starts placing them one by one out into the feed room. And Jacob and Michael spot over on the side another pile of hay. And there they discover the body of little Kazilia Gabriel. Why are they moving them? That's a good question. What year is it? 1922. That wasn't in place yet. Don't move the body. Evidence. But it was because Michael and Jacob said, let's go get the cops. And then Lorenz is like, I'm going to do whatever. And that's actually a side note I have written here is that Lorenz really knew his way around the barn. And for him to have like walked over to get the cow, he would have had to practically walk right over the victim's bodies, but he didn't. And if it's Lorenz, there's a big, 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 big piece of the story missing, though. What's that? The anger, the actual emotion towards wanting to be with her, wanting to, you know, and dealing with him. Like, I don't know. I haven't seen that. It's more than anything. Lorenz's interaction with Victoria and this family has felt like more of an inconvenience until he married Anna. And things have seemed fine for the last few years. So I don't foresee him going through the trouble, especially of killing children. Yeah. I don't know. I don't see that. Well, we'll talk but more I, about it when we get I, into suspects and motives. Somehow he knew not to walk over the bodies and they said that Michael and Jacob felt that Lorenz's actions while moving through the crime scene were a little suspicious, as if he was deliberately messing with any potential evidence. And secondly, they said he seemed to know a lot about the layout of the barn and the house. It seems really suspicious in general to me that if the two of them were coming upon them, and if it was him who had done it, and he built these piles with hay all over them, that he would then come back and change that crime scene. He had already made the crime scene if it was him. Right. Why would you then come back and change the crime scene? It's true. I'm not quite believing him as the person at the moment. Jacob and Michael also mentioned that the way that he was touching the bodies. So these bodies, I think we'll go into it here in a minute, but they were brutally murdered by an axe, like through their head. There's lots of blood everywhere. They're like grotesque. And they said that the way that Lorenz was handling the bodies just seemed very cold and distant. Maybe he was in a state of shock. He is a farm guy. He's probably seen some shit. I don't know. There are people who are completely distant from once something's dead, it's dead, regardless of what it is. I don't know. So Jacob and Michael expressed their desire to leave the barn immediately and suggested that they needed to inform the authorities of what they had found. And so they sent Lorenzo's son, who happened to still be there. I didn't mention this earlier, but there were two the two sons of Lorenz that had come over before were there. They didn't go into the barn because they told them, let us go into the barn first or whatever. They told him to run to town and tell the mayor to get the authorities out there. Lorenz said he was going through the bodies because he had to find his little boy. I mean, that makes sense. I know he denied him earlier, you know, mm -hmm. like we said, like, yeah. He felt like it was pushed upon him, it felt like. Right. But in any chance that it was his, that was the youngest and it was a child. 
regardless of what was going on in this whole fucked up family situation, that child, his or not, was the most innocent. Right. And they couldn't prove shit back then, who's whose and whatnot. Right. They didn't have DNA. And if there's a chance that it was his child, then I understand him trying to search for that little baby. And he was two, you said. He was two years old. He was two years old. And so Lorenz said he wasn't going to wait for the authorities and he wanted to go inside the house because he had looked through the bodies. He didn't see little Joseph. And so he was arguing with the other two men. They're like, no, we need to just leave this alone. It's crime scene. We need to wait till the authorities get here. And he's like, I want to see where my little boy is. It had been two years, right? Even if he denied to himself that it wasn't his, again, there being no proof, maybe over time he kind of felt like it was his kid. Maybe, but I don't think he was was actively involved. But he was day. well. He wasn't actively involved. He didn't marry her because he paid the money off to Andreas right. to say it. But it could have been like this thought, right. like that's my little boy over there, and I didn't actually. And I think, get yeah, shock. I mean, I don't know. We all that's handle weird. these kinds of situations in our own way. That's a hard place to be if that's actually your child over there. Anyway, so he says, I have to get into the house right away. Somehow, I guess. This was the other thing that two men thought was suspicious. Lorenz knew how to get into the house from the barn, but. It can't be that suspicious because he had been there many, many times in the past and he okay. had been sleeping with Victoria, but he got into the house and then he let the other two men inside the front door. It was also mentioned that he used a key to open the door. And this was something that came up many, many times later because that key had gone missing. And they're like, how did he uh, have a key? Even sources today ask the question, did Lorenz have the key all along? I However, mean, <laughs> in his statement, he said that he found the key hanging where it was supposedly always at. So it may have been returned by whoever the murderer was after they were done. So all they had was the testimony from the father that it had been missing at one point. Right. And then Lorenz said he found it inside. But then other people are like, maybe Lorenz had the key because he was the murderer. So once inside the house, they go in and Jacob goes immediately to the door to his right, which leads to Victoria and her children's bedroom. He pushed the doorknob open and it didn't move. They said that's when Lorenz advises him that you have to lift it up as it operates from the bottom up. So he seemed to know a lot about how to open the doors in the house. So that was another thing that the men thought was very strange. They opened the door and there was a bassinet in the room. They found the little body of Joseph Gruber. Was he suffocated? No, he was killed in the head with an axe. What? These are all axe murders. So they also noticed the rest of the room that the drawers of the children's clothes had been in, like all of their clothes had been pulled out and stacked on the bed and that their savings bank, like their piggy like a, banks were on there. Like it looked okay. like maybe Victoria was packing up and getting ready to leave with the children. Well, we talked about this. So somebody had been organizing the clothes. They thought maybe they it was just laundry day or something like that. But knowing what we know about like Victoria and the 700 marks, to me, it's like maybe she was getting ready to right. pack bags and leave. So I see why Lawrence is becoming like a suspect, even though so far I've been standing up for him because it makes sense. Maybe she's going to run away and he didn't want her leaving with the kid. I mean, we don't know the actual emotional dynamics between these people. No, we don't. We don't. The whole Munich newspaper, though, is weird. It tells me that it's someone not from there. It's someone from the city. That's what I think. I'm like, did somebody come to visit Victoria secretly? He was the guy in the woods that she went out and met with. And then she was like, meet me at the church. My dad saw you. I mean, Lawrence didn't pull it off. And she's finding someone else. She's emptying things. She's trying to run away. Other things are happening. Mm -hmm. I really still don't think it's Lawrence. So then they move into the next room and they see a pair of feet sticking out on the bed. 
and it was a pair of feet with shoes still on and they pull back the quilt and they see a woman laying there who would later be identified as Maria. Mm. The last place that they went was into the bedroom of Andreas and Kazilia Gruber. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary there. Their beds looked undisturbed. So after clearing this last rooms, Lorenz then suggests, and the guys thought this was really odd, that they should go feed the animals while they wait for the police to arrive as they must be starving because the animals have been there for days without food in his mind. But to me, that seems kind of normal because he's a farmer. And he's like, yeah, I can't do anything. There's a bunch of dead bodies here. I'm going to go do what I can do, which is take care of the animals. Sure. Poor animals. They're probably sitting there yelping and doing whatever they need to do to get attention of the humans who are their source of food. However, when Lorenz went down to take care of the animals, it didn't look like they really needed anything. There was water and there was hay and somebody had, like we said before, been taking care of the animals. So Schlittenbauer went and was taking care of the animals and all of that. Michael and Jacob thought that was weird. And they were like, you know what? I'm just going to get the hell out of here. I don't want to be here when the authorities show up. And they left Lorenz and they said they would talk to the authorities the next day. So it's now 6 p.m. And word has gotten out that there were murders at Henner Kaifek because when the little boys went into town, I'm sure they told people along the way. Dude, did you hear? Exactly. Because little kids can't keep their mouth shut. Can I have a quarter? I'll tell you something real good. (laughs) So people start coming because back in the 1920s, I remember reading this about even like Lizzie Borden and everything. Like people would just come in and start looking. And that's exactly what happened. We have all the looky-loos coming. And so they're just tromping all over the crime scene. There's even stories that people were going through their fridge and making themselves food, like sandwiches, like fucked up times right so everyone's like oh there was a murder at Henner Kaifek let's go look at the dead bodies and make a sandwich maybe some of them were hungry and there was actual food that could still be used (laughs) I don't know know how I mean you would think that some of the people that showed up maybe they were kind of homeless back then I don't know yeah who knows but anyways it's fucked up to just be gawking but if people needed actual food I don't know maybe that was their (laughs) only source Perhaps, but all these people, looky loos, were going through the house. They were going through the barn, and crime scene was completely like trampled. There was nothing left, and Lorenz had already moved the body, so there wasn't a whole lot left there. Finally, here comes the authorities. I don't know what took them so long. They didn't quite believe. I think the cops had these two little boys come up and say there was a murder, and they're like, yeah, right. And then they walk into the barn and they see four dead bodies, and they're like, okay, this is way more than we can handle. And so they called for backup from Munich. Something else I want to mention before I move on is that the dog was there. As we mentioned, the dog There's before. There's always a dog. So he was found tied up in the stable. He was alive. And as we knew, he was talking there. People did notice that he had an injury to his head. Like it looked like somebody had like smacked the dog across the face, kicked him or something like that. He had a big gash in his face. Okay. Smacked, hit the dog, does not equal gash in his face. So someone hurt him. Yep. It was also said that the dog was particularly upset towards Lorenz Schlittenbauer. He kept barking at him. And Lorenz explained that away by saying it was because when he touched the dead bodies, he got blood on his shoe and that was aggravating the dog. Take for what you will, but the dog was acting very weird towards Lorenz. And some people see that as a sign that perhaps he was the murderer. I guess I could see it both ways. You touch dead bodies, you smell like dead bodies. Yeah. And you smell like the people that the dog loved. Right. And you. So I want to talk about how these family members were murdered. As I mentioned before, someone had broken into the tool chest and the tool that was used to kill every single one of the family was something called a mattock. 
And this is a large pickaxe. So I think about like, we were talking about Bodhi and the miner's pickaxe. It's like the big, so sad. really don't sharp. Rem- don't remind me of that because that little girl died. It's like an ice pick. It's yeah. how, like an ice pickaxe. It's, it's like how they a call moon, it pickaxe. a massive skinny moon. And I'll put a picture of it. But so it's not just a normal big axe. This is something that would leave very puncture, big puncture wounds. So Kazilia, the older Kazilia, was struck seven times. Holy crap. Leave her alone. I mean, she's already been in dementia for the last five years. <laughs> I decided that. But maybe she was just hard to kill. Maybe she just <laughs> kept coming at him. Andreas was struck a few times. I don't have it written down exactly how many times. I don't think as many as Kazilia. Kazilia was struck the most. So someone didn't like her? I don't know. Victoria was not only killed by the pickaxe, but she had been strangled. So there was signs that someone had strangled her. And like strangulation is a very personal way to kill someone. Mm -hmm. And there was also, I read in a couple different accounts, not everyone said this, but other ones said that Kazilia was also strangled. The Mm -hmm. older Kazilia. Okay. Had signs of strangulation. So something about that tells me that this was a personal crime. Why would you strangle when you could just kill them with the pickaxe? Yeah. Now, little Kazilia was nine years old. This one is sad. She was also struck with the pickaxe many, many times. But there were signs that she did not die right away. There were actually handfuls of her own hair in her hand. So she was so traumatized and lived long enough that she started pulling her own hair out. And there are some thoughts behind this. Like in the few days after this happened, when everybody was wondering where they were? It seems like she was alive for a few hours longer, and I don't know how they figure that out than the others. Then the police had to look at how did these four people end up in the barn? The other interesting piece of this is that Kazilia and Andreas were both dressed in pajamas. Victoria and little Kazilia were both dressed in regular clothing. So they had not gotten ready for bed yet. So that tells you that the timing of the deaths were different. Or was Victoria they were dressing ready her to clothes? Run. Exactly. This is the part nobody knows. How were they brought out into the barn? Because they were led out there and they were killed in the barn. They were not killed in the house. Andreas stopped it all. And the person who came to save them went crazy because he actually really fucking loved her. Victoria. Victoria. Head over heels for this woman. We don't know who it was, what it was, whatever, but like vampire diaries <laughs> fucking in love with her. Okay. Okay. And he was ready to save her and her daughter and they were ready and she had done everything she needed to prepare. And her father found out, killed them and he came and he killed her parents. Mm, that's a good theory. And he said, fuck you. I'm going to eat your fucking food. I love animals. I'm going to feed them. And I don't know what I'm doing with my life because that was my plan. Maybe. I don't know. There you go. That's I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm stuck in a love situation in my mind right now. So then the thought is, how did whoever was killing these people lure them into the barn? So there's a few theories out there about that. I don't feel like they're lured. Well, they were killed in the barn. Oh, shit. Well, that just changes my whole vampire diary situation. <laughs> could have said that before, Kendra, before I went all cool. <laughs> so one of the thoughts is that perhaps they let an animal loose. So who was ever there, they let a cow, maybe that little calf, was out running around and they were in the house. And perhaps they saw the little calf and they sent Kazilia out, the little Kazilia, and said, go catch the calf. Because she's nine and back in those days, nine years old or basically like 20 year old. And they're like, go out and get the cow and put her back in the barn. So little Kazilia goes out to get the cow takes the cow into the barn doesn't come back 
So then mm. Victoria, Mama's like, where's Kazilia? Why didn't she come back? She goes out looking for Kazilia, ends up in the barn. During this time, Andreas and Kazilia, the elder Kazilia, they're getting ready for bed because it's like getting close to nighttime. They aren't worried about anything because they thought that like Kazilia and Victoria were out taking care of the cow and they're just upstairs getting ready for bed. And then they realize wait, we haven't seen Kazilia and Victoria come back in. I hope everything's okay. Mm -hmm. And then perhaps Kazilia goes outside looking for Victoria and Kazilia. She doesn't come back. This is so confusing to listen to. So right now, Andreas is then like, okay, little Kazilia's gone. Victoria's gone. My wife Kazilia went out and none of them have come back. And then he goes out looking for them. Yeah. And then it's murdered. Now the maid, okay. the maid, she's busy getting the little baby ready for bed. Like sh- there's no reason she would be involved in any of it. So she's in the house it's rocking her the baby. First day. Right. Yep. She's been there like three hours at this point. So that's one of the theories on how everyone got brought out. Now, the thing I want to go back to is Kazilia's, the little Kazilia, her hair being pulled out and not dying. What if Mama Victoria came out and whoever was in the barn was using little Kazilia as like a hostage type situation. I mean, so far I'm trying to figure out what the situation is here. There really is no motive. Even if this dude was mad about not getting a farm, there's still no motive there because he moved on with his life and she seemed like she was leaving. So whoever was connected to Victoria and her daughter preparing to leave was part of that. And for some reason in my soul, I feel like her father found out about that because I don't see whoever was helping him would just kill everybody, her and her children included. I feel like maybe he found out he was mad and whoever came was just ended up being the bystander and had to do the last dirty deeds. I don't know. So maybe Kazilia and Victoria were out there meeting the guy and then Andreas came out yeah. with Kazilia and saw that they were about to leave and he started strangling his daughter and then the guy. They could have just been waiting, like waiting out there because they're still dressed and everybody's still yeah. and our, everybody's already going to sleep in PJs. All we know is that little Kazilia witnessed the murders of her mother, her grandfather and yeah. her grandmother and yeah. it was some kind of trauma that she pulled her own hair out. Or they thought they had killed her and they hadn't. And she was just in so much pain that she was pulling her hair out because like she was trying to like. How do they know they pulled her own hair out? It was like clumped and like held in both of her hands, clumps of her own hair. It might have been that she died. She got hit by a pickaxe. I'm sorry. I'm going forensic stuff now that she died with a pickaxe, meaning she was hit with it. But she was being dragged by her hair and she grabbed her hair. And maybe it was such a violent grab that it came out in her hands, but she died really shortly after. And she had some hair in her hands. Children don't rip. I'm thinking she didn't die right away and she was ripping it out because she was in so much pain and just like probably obviously in shock because she had several pickaxes to her head. Either way, it doesn't matter. Either way, this poor little girl didn't deserve any of this. No. Poor baby. She had nothing to do with all this stupid drama with her family. She was just a little nine-year-old girl trying to live her life and she got axe murdered. So then the theory is that once the murderer killed Andreas, they knew that there was nobody else in the house that could take him down because the, you know, patriarch of the family or whatever had come out. So then they went into the house and that's when they encountered the maid Um. and baby Joseph. But why they decided to kill a baby a two-year-old, like that seems pretty brutal. He killed little baby Joseph 
And so to me, if Loren Schlittenbauer, who is the one that's going to come up as a suspect here in a minute, if he thought that was his baby, would he kill a two-year-old? I don't think so. I think this is now becoming a random person, like somebody who comes from nowhere. Like they just, you know, like the railroad people. Have you heard those stories where it's We're going to talk about some of this here in a minute. Okay. And if you remember Velisca Axe murder, they were all killed. And then that was the one where there was the bacon and the person stayed in the house and ate bacon and things like that after the murders. Mm -hmm. So to me, looking at this case, Henner Kaifek, and the fact that we know in listening to all of the recounts from people that somebody was still on that farm after all of these people died. They were feeding the animals. They were moving the dog around. They were cooking in the kitchen. There was smoke coming out of the chimney. So this person stayed for a few days. Okay. And that is very similar to what happened at the Velisca axe murder. And I'll bring that up because it is one of the theories that we're going to come to. Why axe people? That was the thing back in the... It's arduous work or something. And they're like, I need a break. I'm going to stay here for a while. There's blood everywhere anyway. I'm going to have a sandwich. I don't know. And they killed the whole family in both Velisca and Hunter Kaifak. So police initially suspected vagrants or other traveling men of ill repute. (laughs) But they tossed this theory out because here's the main reason they don't think it was random. It's because there was large sums of money that were found within the house. Why would that still not be random? It wasn't taken. That's what they're saying. Like if somebody came to just kill a family, why would they not take all this large sums of cash that were sitting in the house? All of the bodies were covered. This was the other thing that was similar between Hinterkaifeck and what happened in Velisca Axe murders. Velisca Axe murders, they were all I sounded like I said Velisca ass murders. <laughs> Velisca axe murders, they were all covered with sheets, I believe. And here in Hunter Kaifak, the maid was covered with a sheet. The little baby Jacob was covered with his mom's skirt. And then all of the bodies in the barn were covered with hay. So other than the bodies and the hay and the bed sheets that I just talked about that they used to cover them, nothing else in the entire house had been disturbed. So whoever did this did not go through the house looking for anything. To me, that's a, a very disturbed person. It's not someone who knows them. That's what I feel like. The psychology of murderers, serial killers, everything, it, it's fucked up. They like kept this entire library of this is what this is and this is what this is and this is what this is. And I almost sometimes when they describe it, I see it opposite. Like if someone doesn't know somebody, they can but do, they're, but they're having internal conflictions because there is more to a human being than this or that or this or that. And if you come upon a family and you need resources or whatever, and you have a mental condition and you don't know what to do, but you end up killing everybody and you cover them and then you live there because where else are you going to go? And that's what happened. The killer remained at the farm for several days, feeding the animals, eating meals, and lighting fires in the hearth. I don't believe the crop of, if you cover them, that means they love, they had emotions towards them. Oh, I don't think that. I'm just saying that that actually connects them to Velisca Axe murder, which is also unsolved and they believe was a rando. The police questioned the former maid that we mentioned, Crescents, about the fact that they had heard that she thought the property was haunted. And she told them about hearing the sounds in the attic and experiencing an unsettling feeling of being watched while she lived there. But we all know now that that was because of the dude that wanted to like get with her. They did find some interesting things when they were searching the property in the barn up in the hayloft. There was a pile of hay that was very clear that two human bodies had often laid there and right Mm. where that 
is there was a piece of like wood or shingle or whatever that you could move. And when you moved it, you could see directly into the house. So that's Uh, a little creepy. Okay. Here's my thought though. Victoria was hooking up with Lorenz out in the hayloft. Yeah. Victoria and her dad were hooking up somewhere, probably not inside the house. That could have been a place that was used for those kinds of conjugal visits and they would have the little peek out to make sure nobody was coming or it could be somebody was stowing away in the barn and living there and watching the house. So they did go into the attic and they also found some padding in the attic that looked like somebody could have been sleeping up in the attic. The other thought is that perhaps uh, because there was so much noise up in the attic that they could have put like the straw up there to try and pad whatever noises maybe they thought mice were running around or something like that. I think someone was up there. I mean they're hearing it. Right. They never come up with a real clear explanation but those were things that were found so the police decided and their suspicion eventually settled on it had to be someone connected to the family because of all the domestic turbulence that had happened at the farm their number one suspect was Lorenz Schlittenbauer their theory was that he was traumatized by the death of I guess I should have gone back he recently had been married and had had a baby with his new wife and their baby had died recently so they felt like their theory was that Lorenz was traumatized by the recent death of his little baby and he was upset at the fact that he had had to pay child support or had been like to me this is a stretch but whatever anyways (laughs) they said his motive was that the family accused him of being little Joseph's father and had come after him for child support and he did not appreciate that because he had way less money than the Grubers and he was (laughs) just so upset that they had the audacity to ask him for money and that he therefore was traumatized by the death of his recent baby and all of that like came flooding back and he just in a rage came over and murdered the whole family. If your little other baby just died, why would you come over and kill the other baby? I don't know. So here's the other thing and the other reason that they thought he was the suspect is because during the initial investigation, they thought his behavior was suspicious, how he acted nonchalantly viewing and handling the dead bodies without signs of repulsion, and he also knew his way very well around the farm repulsion because he was sick and fucking tired of this family probably (laughs) and he was moving around trying to find one person the kid so the police questioned Schlittenbauer extensively but they were never able to conclusively place him at the crime scene his behavior could be explained by shock as I mentioned before and his knowledge of the farm was because he had that relationship with Victoria yeah For many years, local suspicion remained on Schlittenbauer because of his strange comments. There was also speculation, and I saw this in a couple of sources I couldn't confirm. They were saying that Schlittenbauer didn't have a very good alibi and that he didn't have anything to say where he was for like four days. I just wonder on Schlittenbauer, if he was the person who did this, why would he stay at the farm and like feed the animals and cook food there and all of that? Like he has a wife and kids at home. They would notice him missing. Maybe he came back. He must have. He would have gone back and forth. I mean, how far away was he? I have a picture somewhere that shows how close he was. He was their nearest neighbor. But still, like, that one guy said he saw a guy at 11.30 p.m. at night. The other one saw someone at 3 a.m. Like, because Hender Kaifak is out there by itself, but it's out there by itself with a bunch of other farms. So there are people, like, walking through the roads and everything. Everybody thinks it's Schlittenbauer. Everything I've read, people say this is the guy. I don't know that I'm sold on it. I'm literally not sold on it. (laughs) And maybe I'm just not explaining the story, but I think I am. I listened to several podcasts and I'm still not convinced that he was so pissed about money. If it was Schlittenbauer, why would he kill his own son? Because think about it. If the little baby survived, 
if he really wanted their money, everybody else died. He had it on the birth certificate that Joseph was his son. The farm would have gone to Joseph if he was the only surviving son. So Schlittenbauer, if he really wanted money and was about that, he would have made sure Joseph stayed alive. And then he would have gotten the farm through his son. I I don't know why, but I, I don't think it's Lauren's. Everyone still, like I said, talked about that. Before his death in 1941, Schlittenbauer had conducted and won several civil claims for slander against him, who described him as the murderer of Hinter Kaifax. So he went after anybody who said he was. Yeah, because there's no proof. Right. So once the police eliminated Schlittenbauer because they couldn't definitively say that he was the murderer, the next suspect, this one's an odd one, they considered Victoria's husband, Carl Gabriel. Remember the guy who died in World War One? Okay. Victoria's first husband. He came back from the dead. So there was a theory that he was actually alive and had come back <laughs> from the war and killed them and that he hadn't actually died in the war. He had used that as a cover and he was the guy that they saw out in the woods. He was watching the family realize that Victoria had moved on and had another baby. He was upset and came back and killed her. That theory didn't last long because they were able to find several soldiers that had served in the war with Carl Gabriel and were like, no, we saw him die on the field. He is dead. And so then they dismissed that. Another theory was that it was a murder-suicide perpetrated either by Victoria or Andreas. That because of the abuse that Victoria had endured and the fact that they knew Joseph was most likely the result of incest, either Andreas or Victoria killed everyone out of, you know, purging because they were incestuous and then turned the Maddox on themselves. But that doesn't make much sense. And like when they looked at the bodies and the way that the injuries were sustained to the bodies, there was nothing that could show that it was self-inflicted on either Andreas or Victoria. So there was another suspect named Peter Weber. He was named a suspect by a man named Joseph Betts. He said the two worked together in the winter of 1919 through 1920 as laborers, and they shared a room. According to Betts, Weber spoke of a remote farm, Hinterkaifeck. Weber knew that only one old couple lived there with their daughter and her two children. It is likely he knew about the incest between Gruber and his daughter. Betts testified in a hearing that Weber had suggested killing the old man to get the family's money. However, all of the money was still left there. That doesn't seem like a very realistic theory because if the main reason Peter Weber was wanting to kill them, the money would have been taken because it was very clearly easy to find. Okay. So let's go back to the man that Crescent's Rieger talked about, the man that was bugging her when she lived on the farm. His name was Anton Bickler. She actually suspected that the brothers, Anton and Carl Bickler, committed the murders. Anton Bickler had helped with the potato harvest at Hinterkaifeck and therefore knew the premises. Crescent's Rieger said Bickler talked to her often about the Gruber and Gabriel family, and Anton reportedly suggested that the family ought to be dead, as we said before, and he had told other people that. She also emphasized in her statement that the farm dog barked at everyone, but he never barked at Anton. Mm. So it would have been easier for them to murder them. Interesting. She also theorized that Anton and Carl Bickler could have committed the murder together alongside George Siegel, who was another worker and boarder that would come to Hinterkaifeck. And they all knew about the family fortune. But once again, if these were the perpetrators, they would have stolen all the money. Right. There was another set of brothers that was suspected at some time. They were called the Thaler brothers, and they had been known in the area for committing crimes, mostly burglaries, sneaking in the window at night and stealing money from local farms. But they were never murderers, so that didn't seem like a very good theory either. 
So now let's talk about the random. If it was like a true random yeah. killing. So there's a book called The Man from the Train. And it was written by author <laughs> Bill James. Have you heard of The Man from the Train? Well, I'm laughing because I said train people. I thought that's what you were alluding to because no. I've heard this theory many times. I actually have it listed as something I want to do a future episode on. I mean, I've heard, I feel like at, at this point, three different serial killer stories that their mode of transportation and finding victims is from a train. Well, here's the thing. So author Bill James wrote the book, The Man from the Train, and he alleges that a man known as Paul Mueller may have been responsible for the Hinterkaifeck murders. Mueller was the only suspect in the 1897 murder of a Massachusetts family, and James believes Mueller killed dozens of victims based on research in American newspaper archives. The Hinterkaifeck murder bears some similarities to Mueller's suspected crimes in the United States, including the slaughter of an entire family in their isolated home, use of the blunt edge of a farm tool as a weapon, a pickaxe, moving and stacking bodies of the victims, and the apparent absence of robbery as a motive. James suspects that Mueller, who was described as a German immigrant in contemporary media, might have departed the U.S. for his homeland as soon as 1912 after private investigators and journalists began to notice and publicize patterns in family murders across the states. He was the main suspect in all of these random murders throughout the U.S. He was originally from Germany. He came back home to Germany, they think, in 1912. So could this have been him? Mm. That's like the theory out there for the random person. He stacked the bodies. Yeah. I feel like he was also the one for Velisca Axe murder. So only one thing can be stated with any degree of certainty, and that's the crimes had been committed by someone who knew their way around a farm, as evidenced by the continued upkeep after the murders and by the expert wielding of the mattock. The brutality of the murders suggests that they had been committed by someone with a personal vendetta against one or several of the Grubers. Or just a madman could be. The Grubers were never liked in town, as I mentioned in the beginning. They were not a popular family. They stayed out to themselves, mostly because of the patriarch Andreas was an asshole and everybody knew that. But once again, if somebody was going to kill them, why would they not take the money? Mm -hmm. Unless they just didn't want to be caught. But like, I just I don't understand motive, even for Lorenz Schlittenbauer, who, you know, had the kid supposedly yeah. and they never took money from him. No. So what would have made him so angry? Like you said, that's what's missing is the no. anger from right. him towards them. Right. So police at the time failed to come up with answers and eventually they just had to close the case. However, the Hender Kaifat case has been reopened several times. They even asked clairvoyance to help. Now, this is weird. They cut the heads off of the Gruber family. That's a normal thing that's happening back then. So they did that reason. not long after the original autopsies and the skulls were sent to Munich where they were examined for metaphysical clues by clairvoyance. Sadly, the clairvoyance never found anything from the skulls. And then the skulls were lost in World War II because <laughs> they were kept in a building that was destroyed when Germany attacked or whatever during okay. World War II. So we never got those back. Right. And we don't have them today to even look at if we wanted to. If I die, no one gets to send me around all over the world. Please don't send my head around. <laughs> so in 1923, just one year after the murders took place, the farm was demolished because there was no one left for the family farm to pass to. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, the I think there was some superstition in the town. This was where a horrible thing happened. Let's just it's get rid of it. the first area. Exactly. The family lays buried in a plot without their skulls in Weidhofen. <laughs> they're gone. They're all headless. The headless family. 
Buried. It doesn't say what happened to the maid. I'm assuming she was hopefully buried somewhere back by her family. family. Yeah. yeah. There is a memorial there today. If you go to Hinterkaifeck, you can see the memorial that was built to the family. The other interesting thing is when they did demolish the farm, that is when they found the murder weapon. So the murder weapon was never found until the farm was demolished. Hmm. And it had been hidden somewhere like behind. They don't know for sure because it was found when they you know, had torn everything apart. But they believe it was mm-hmm. hidden somewhere like in the hearth place, like tucked up uh, in a chimney or, okay. or something. I also read someone said that it was in the attic. I think mm-hmm. they would have found it in the attic. Anyways, wherever it was, somebody had found a good hiding spot because the cops had searched the place and never found the murder weapon until the house was torn apart. Right. And I guess finding the murder weapon didn't get them any closer to finding out who the murderer was. So the initial evidence gathered at the crime scene is either lost at this point or it's just too old and wasn't very good to begin with. So there's not really any way for them to ever solve this crime. As I mentioned earlier in 2007, the Furstenfeldbruck Police Academy took the murders on as a cold case. They used more recent forensic techniques that they did not have available to them in the original investigation. They were unable to conclusively identify who the murderer was, though they did all agree on a theory. But out of respect for surviving family members of people related to the crime, that theory remains a secret, so none of us know. At this point, it seems unlikely the public will ever know who committed the murders or why. Whatever the secrets were in the Gruber family, whether in life or death, they now are buried alongside them in the grave. And that's all we know. I stick to one of two theories. Someone found out that she was leaving. And whether it was the father or someone else, someone came in to make sure that that did not happen. Yeah. For whatever reason. And the whole newspaper thing before that, we don't know everything. That's the thing. We don't know if they were involved in something that was worse like meaning they were involved in something criminal in some way with the land or something else and maybe someone was dropping off that paper to say hey I'm letting you know I'm here so interesting that you say that because I did read another theory and I don't have it in my notes there was a theory that Andreas Gruber was somehow involved with smuggling guns and that's how he made money so there is a thought around that There There was was his whole family gone. There was thoughts that he was hiding people in the attic. Mm. And he was the only one that ever went up in the attic to check if someone was there. There was one of them. So he could have been hiding people like war refugees because this is all going on during, you know, this is Germany in World War One, World War Two. There was some shit going down. Yeah. There could be something completely we don't even know and never even even thought of. Yeah. I don't I do not feel that the popular narrative that's being put out right now is correct. If Lorenz won that many cases and he did so much work to try and clear his name, to me, I don't think he's the murderer. He is not the murderer. And I'm saying that right now. I don't think he is. Every podcast I've listened to on this seems to think Lorenz is. Really? I'm not there. I'm not convinced. Okay. I did not see that from anything that you have said. I know. Not one thing. And it's the way, maybe I it's the way not, I'm telling the story, but I didn't I don't feel know. that from I him. I did not. I do not feel that at all. I think. It's not Lorenz. It's something else. It's. A random person, someone involved with the family in some way, her father, someone that doesn't want her to leave, or a random train man. (laughs) Why were Victoria and her daughter dressed? Andreas and Cazilia were not. They were trying to leave, but she didn't have her baby with her. But remember, when they went into the baby's room, all of her stuff was laid out. Yeah. So perhaps she was going to take Cazilia somewhere and leave Cazilia there 
and be like, you stay here, honey, and I'm going to go run in and get your brother. Or they were just ready and they were about to get him. You're right. It doesn't and Andreas have to, found out. Right. It wasn't a it wasn't about taking her somewhere. They were just ready because they were the older ones and she needed to make sure the little one was ready and then she could quickly go get the other one ready. And the other thing, once again, if you go back to random crime theory, he was involved in some dark shit that none of us know about. That would explain why the money wasn't taken. Yeah. Like if they sent a hitman out to kill the family, I don't know why he would stay there and take care of the animals unless they just wanted to keep people from suspecting well, anything. Well, you said that there was snow. You can't easily leave these places you have a comforting home everybody's dead there's food there you have somewhere to stay and you happen to have an affection for animals so that to me almost speaks to a professional hitman that's my point is they're staying they're like well I have an apartment I can live in there's food I'm going to stay here for a minute until so-and-so picks me up and I really love animals so I'm going to make sure that they're fed end of discussion (laughs) I went into the reddit subreddit hole (laughs) rabbit hole whatever you want to call it and I've read so many there are so many blogs out there nobody knows what happened here but there are theories and a lot of them around random things a lot of them around organized crime I didn't see in a lot of the research that I did because the research I did focuses on the statements that were done by the police at the time and that's what I'm presenting here but there are a lot of theories out there this is one that's never going to be solved and there's going to be theories until I guess forever because nobody knows everybody's dead now i'm just kidding (laughs) you decide this is a cold case yeah the first time we're giving you something where you really don't know it's not lorenz i don't believe it's lorenz nope you guys can fight us send us fight me (laughs) come with your facts send me reasons maybe i missed something but i don't see lorenz doing it no it just doesn't make sense he was a normal dude he wasn't the type i mean he had no no Okay, wait, no one was normal back then. Okay, you're right. But But, and he had a whole family and he never like displayed any like weird signs of like serial killer type mentality. He wasn't hurting animals. He wasn't abusing his wife. No. I mean we also don't know that, but no. (laughs) Lorenz did make a comment and some people use this against him. And I don't have the direct quote written down, but he said something about the murders of the Gruber family were God sent in a way like not God sent but like directed by God because they were bad people because of the incest he was quoted as saying that and people felt like he was basically guilty because he said that and that it was a crime committed as like an ethnic cleansing almost or something because of the incest it's a really sad situation because you just reminded me that both of the children there were the children of the father correct they were the product of incest so you could have had some religious zealot coming out you have no idea where that's coming from right it could be literally a religious group or a religious movement that is coming in to eradicate them in some way or another then a train hopper comes by and they're like whoa they're dead this is an empty (laughs) house free house for me food i have somewhere to stay for a little bit (laughs) who knows we have no idea but we know somebody was there who shined the light in that guy's face and we know that they saw a couple of figures out in the woods talking that other guy so okay well we could theorize all day but that is the story of Henner Kaifak. Yep. I hope I did it justice. I know it's a big popular true crime case. Not Lorenz. No. I really just don't think so. Everything else makes so much more sense than that person. For some I've heard so much to hate towards Schlittenbauer, but I don't know. I don't hate him as much as others do. I don't hate him at all. That's my point. He's just the neighbor that got mixed up with a fucked up family. 
and started having sex with the girl and then realized that her daddy. I mean, I, I'm sure he wasn't a like an perfect awesome, guy great or anything. person or yeah. anything, but not someone that jams pickaxes into <laughs> babies' heads. So that's it not... takes a certain kind of person to be able to murder a two year old. And that's. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Th- thanks, Kendra. You're welcome. I bring all the fun ones Kendra's here. Kendra's shirt says love over all. My Evanescence shirt from the concert. <laughs> I've been like looking at it and I'm like, wow. Yeah. Lots of colors. I liked it when I went to the Muse and Evanescence concert. So yeah. this is my shirt nice. from there. And we're all comfy cozy because it's cold out today. And we already talked about all of our socials and everything at the beginning of the episode. So we don't have a whole lot to go over no, now. we don't. We do have Patreon up and running so go there and visit see if you are interested in any of those levels we appreciate anything and everything that you guys do and we'll be back next tuesday with another episode we will and as a reminder question everyone and everything don't always go with the popular narrative we never do (laughs) thank you bye stay lucid stay lucid stay so very fucking lucid babies